0: In 1775, vicious quarreling between the superpower Great Britain and its small American colonies over the British policies and practices on the American continent eventually erupted into war for American independence. With the dawn of the Revolutionary War came the dawning of espionage, where spying emerged as a pivotal dynamic. The spy game would affect the war on both sides. From the onset of fired shots at Lexington and Concord to the climactic British surrender at Yorktown on the Virginia Peninsula. In a land divided, a bevy of cunning, resourceful characters on both sides managed to flourish in the art of espionage. The scheming influenced campaign strategies, impeded advancing armies, and deceived enemy forces. Many of their stories are largely unknown. Even today, a number of prominent espionage figures from the Revolutionary War still languish in obscurity, despite the scale of their secret maneuvering that shaped America as we know today. Bennett. it should just be, like, if we were good at Photoshop, it's just me walking in, like, eating some goldfish, like the James Bond. Like, how every movie starts to, like, turn around, but it's a mic. It. <laughs> I, I've looked up, because,
1: you know how, like, there's always a bad recorder version of, like, famous songs, like the Jurassic Park
0: theme? <laughs> that is I, the funniest I, thing. I, I looked, looked up so much.
1: for the James Bond theme, like, to... Possibly put in like the intro part of this episode, but it is so ear piercingly bad that I think it would just destroy everyone's ears if I put it in. So. It's the
0: least listened to episode so of the two years. We've we're going to pass
1: this. on that one.
0: But uh, are we introducing now? Yeah. Yeah. But. We're, we're live. We're <laughs> live. <laughs> two years. Well, welcome back to the Gems of History podcast. I am your co host, Evan Rusch, and join with me as always is Jacob Shop hello hello we have a really special episode for you guys today i think i've said that for the last every time i intro
1: they're all special they're
0: all special in our hearts because we're special yeah in one the, way or another <laughs> except the history of dogs episode
1: <laughs> that one is special that one's in an
0: interesting way that one's a thing it happened it occurred but we have a really cool episode for you guys we're gonna be diving into probably one of the most unknown and for a very good reason uh aspects of american history in particular but that is spying and espionage, specifically for the Revolutionary War. Now, when you think of the Revolutionary War, the first thing that you probably that comes to mind is Paul Revere, Lexington and Concord, like Benedict Arnold, who we'll talk about later, yeah, and like a bunch of other you know prominent figures in American history doing the classic line up, shoot each other, et cetera, et cetera. But this is one of the most intense times of espionage that America's ever had, and that's including like the formation of you know one CIA organization, those
1: three letter organizations that right. eh, we all know and love today.
0: Right, right, and it's truly born out of true necessity because yeah. that was the only way that the small colonial army would have any shot.
1: It is interesting because both sides employed espionage, as we're going to talk about the next two weeks. But it is interesting how George Washington, with everything else that he had going on, was just like, I, I'll develop an entire system of covert operations while I'm fighting an entire war. And he was able yep. to do it better than the British were.
0: <laughs> yeah. like George Washington, uh, he has a pretty famous quote. Uh, he said this in 1776, and I quote here, There's one evil I dread, and that is their spies. So, out of everything, out of all the different, you know, going up against a superpower, he was most afraid of their spies. And today, we'll be focusing on the British side of espionage. And then next week, we'll be covering the American heroes that, in a lot of cases, gave their lives uh, to these different spy activities. But today, we're going to be focusing on the British side of things and. He had a very good reason to be scared of these people, these individuals.
1: So, I've like did a bit of research just on like espionage in general throughout time. And it is, it's very funny how like intelligence gathering and covert operation hasn't really changed at all in like since it started. Pretty much like mm-hmm. since the Romans and the Greeks were doing it, like Julius Caesar, it hasn't changed. Just the landscape around it has changed. So everything is still exactly the same as it was back then. Like there's still like coded messages. There's, yeah, there's still hiding messages in places where one person knows where it is. Yeah, it's, all of that is this exact same, except now it's like on the internet. So right, like it, dead drops yeah, now
0: exist through a. Like a firewall, exactly. essentially.
1: It's all the same. It's so funny to me that nothing has really changed, but we always find a new way to employ those strategies in a more convenient way or a more like advantageous way above what the enemy can do.
0: That's why I think spying is so cool, because the bare bones of it, like you mentioned, are the same. Because the end goal is to not have, of course, the enemy find out that their information has been taken. And you do that through codes or through dead drops. (laughs) And now it's like the channels have just changed. Yeah, where you put codes and dead drops through the through the web.
1: Like I did a bunch of research on codes and code breaking for an episode that we never actually did because the audio got all messed up. And then afterwards, I was like, ah, whatever. This episode wasn't that exciting, anyways. But uh, like, it's interesting because doing all that research, you find. All of the strategies from like medieval Europe when they would try and do it, they would literally just shave guys' heads and then like tattoo a message on their scalp, Mm -hmm. let their hair grow back, and then eventually would send them out to like send that (laughs) message or like give them a wig or something. It's like
0: we could just send a text message now. You're right. You can just. You can use WhatsApp, and yeah. like that's an encrypted like communication system. Just
1: hope that guy doesn't get beheaded on on the road by some random <laughs> assassin.
0: Oh my God, that's funny. Well yeah, I guess without any further ado, let's uh jump on, jump on into the episode. So, like I mentioned, or like we've mentioned multiple times on the show, these key historic events and for in this instance, the Revolutionary War, when you think of it, you think American colonies revolted, sent the Declaration of Independence, and everyone in America, besides for a small fraction of people, were all on board for independence.
1: But it wasn't like that originally, though. Like, there, Over 50% of the people in the colonies didn't want to fight against the British.
0: Oh, no, that's exactly... Yeah, I was just going to say, like there was a complete divide yeah, between the two. It was
1: crazy. Like... Between people that just didn't want anything to do with the war and people that actively opposed us fighting the British, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a majority of people that were just like, "Can we just not?"
0: And they were very much realists. I oh, would yeah. say we
1: were not really Like we, had, we should. There is no valid reason why we should have won this on the outset of the war.
0: There was no reason. Yeah, truly no reason. If I was a gambling man, I still wouldn't bet on the colonies. I
1: mean, granted. Britain was just coming out of the Seven Years' War, so it's Mm -hmm. not like they didn't have their own stuff going on. But they still had a vastly superior in numbers and strategy, navy and standing army. Economy. Yeah, everything (laughs) everything. was better than us. So,
0: But just with the fact that... Keep in mind, everyone's a colonist on this continent, so that means everyone spoke the same language, everyone looked alike, and this meant that it was almost impossible to differentiate who was a spy and who wasn't because you could just very easily say i'm a patriot or i'm a loyalist it was very easy to switch back and forth
1: yeah and i mean spying wasn't really a thing on everyone's mind like we mm-hmm. we had the cold war 50 years ago to like <laughs> go back and look at and be like is everyone in my neighborhood a spy? <laughs> but now, like they didn't have that back then. That wasn't on the forefront of people's mind to say, this guy might be a spy for the British who's taking information from me to defeat us in a war.
0: We'll definitely get into that someday, the Red Scare and yeah. why everyone went nuts. But the British, uh, who of course possessed the largest navy in the world and an experienced professional army, were already well-versed in the spying trade, and they recruited potential operatives with little to no challenge, because like we mentioned, a majority at this point at the onset of the war of colonists were considered loyalists, and this enabled the British to quickly and very effectively set up a spy ring.
1: Yeah, I found a really interesting article. It's it was on online, and it was called "The Hidden War: British Intelligence Operations during the American Revolution." so very pertinent to what we're talking about.: Very spot-on SEO there. <laughs> it was written by Roger Kaplan, and he basically focuses on uh, General Sir Henry Clinton, who was the third general, like insur- the Commander-in-Chief of the British Forces, basically, and he oversaw everything for the British side during the war. And it kind of goes through the timeline of him developing their intel strategies, because when he started out, it was literally just him getting reports from everyone and going through all of them on his own. And eventually, he was like, this is too much for me. I can't effectively manage all of this information. But he didn't take the advice of the other people around him who said like, hey, maybe you should set up like a group of like five (laughs) guys or something like that so they can just manage all the reporting on that and then brief you on it. And he's like, no, we've never done it that way before. We're not going to do it now. So
0: That is a next level of stubbornness. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and so there are so many instances, and this is why America pretty much won, spoiler Mm -hmm. alert, uh, because he wouldn't listen to a lot of the intelligence reports or just overlooked them. So then they just went into battle expecting the intelligence to either not be true Mm -hmm. or they just didn't look at it at all. So.
0: Which is a very bold move, considering at this time there's no satellite imagery. There's literally no imagery at all. Fun fact. (laughs) And you're in a land that you don't really
1: know that well. No. And it's pretty much wilderness compared to fighting in Europe. Because fighting in Europe, they didn't really have a need for a developed intelligence strategy, really. Right. Because you think about fighting in a giant European city like they did, how organized everything was. There wasn't really any secret planning or anything it was pretty much like hey we're gonna meet them in battle here we're all gonna fire at each other at the same time and then that's gonna be it but now they're in a pretty much a guerrilla war and they've never really had to fight in the wilderness like this so it's completely new for them
0: that is such a culture i mean you can almost compare it to when like america invaded vietnam yeah in a way granted america isn't all jungles and i guess orange, orange gas, but <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's definitely a pretty similar scenario there.
1: Definitely. So Clint, like the, the strategy of style that they had was what Clinton was going off of the whole time. And eventually he just realized, like, yeah,
0: this isn't going to work unless we make some adaptations. Right. And those adaptations actually led to British agents truly infiltrating the highest levels of the Continental Army, overseas diplomatic missions. And even the Continental Congress itself,
1: for example, before they got good at intelligence in the Revolutionary War, I guess you could say, like Clinton had his first like direct interaction with his necessity to have intel because he and his naval counterpart, Sir Peter Parker, aka Stop Sir Spider Man, uh, they were planning to try and capture Charleston, and he got reports saying like. Yeah, there's a ton of cannons. There's a ton of reinforcements defending the coastline. And they're all just like, but are there? <laughs> let's go <laughs> Let's go see if that's true. So Spider-Man goes and bombards the coastline, just utter failure. And then all of the land forces led by Clinton weren't told that they couldn't pass the ford that they needed to cross to get to the island. So they were just like, all right, well, I guess we're not going to attack Charleston today. <laughs> that is just, I mean, it's why information is so important. So, yeah, then he was just like, all right, I need to, so he immediately established like a spy network in Rhode Island to go out. But he was like, this is only going to get me so far. I need to branch this. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the actual spy ring that starts
0: they were literally, before they established the spy ring, were just going off vibes. Yeah, literally. <laughs> like, you know what? Charleston sounds pretty We've cool. We've got a lot of people. Yeah. They, let's Russia. This. Let's Russia. Yeah. <laughs> and people around them were like, is that foreshadowing? Are they calling. What are you talking? Who, what's Russia? <laughs> yeah. What's a Russia? <laughs> and, but with that, uh, I'm going to dive into several stories of the most famous British espionagers. I don't like that of the British They're spies. spies. Yeah. <laughs> There's a word for it. Right. And first off, we're going to start with William Tyron. So as his term as "Royal Governor of New York this guy is important. <laughs> I actually have some stuff on him as well, so: uh, Sir William Tyron lorded over his <clears throat> lorded over his charges with quite a lot of viciousness. Is it William Tyron or William Tryon? I do have a red squiggly mark underneath my notes here, so it could very much be trying. Because
1: I looked it up and it kept te- telling me trying. It well, literally spelled tr- like
0: try on. <laughs> well, I'm trying to do to a, goos- a, goop- goop us off. To of do here. a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So let's go with trying. We just did some live research. It is trying,
1: and we will continue on with trying. <laughs> <laughs> but Lord we <Tyron.
0: laughs> Lord. Uh, yeah. Lord Tryin'. Uh, He used quite a vicious method of rule, uh, which often meant that he was stabbing people with bayonets. So condemned patriot leaders in the New York Capitol were viewed as wicked arts and insidious and corrupt. And this man stabbed a lot of people and executed a lot of patriots. But in an investigation by the committee, for detecting and defeating conspiracies, which the CDDC, C what is that <laughs> the All right.
1: for disease disease control yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, which was formed by the New York State legislature determined that Tyron was also actively recruiting spies. As John Jay, the famed statesman who led the committee, wrote, Governor Tryon has been very mischievous, and we find our hands full in counteracting and suppressing the conspiracies formed by him and his adherents. Early in the war, as the British and the Continentals clashed in New York, Tryon feared for his safety and sought refuge aboard a British merchant vessel, which was docked in New York Harbor and guarded by a 64-gun warship. From this vessel, William Tryon oversaw a massive currency counterfeiting workshop. Nice. So basically, he was printing false bills of continental money to destroy the newly formed continental economy.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: It got so bad to the point where counterfeiting was made by law by the Continental Congress. A crime punishable by death.
1: Well now our government just prints a lot of money and devalues our own money.
0: So they finally did it. It took him <laughs> it, it took him <laughs> 250, <laughs> 250 years to reach his goal, but Tryon did it. Making him proud. <laughs> right. Uh but counterfeiting was hardly Tryon's only pursuit. He routinely he routinely met with other British sympathizers, including David Matthews, which we'll talk about later, is just a hilarious name. Did he start a band? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who was the loyalist mayor of New York City. Together, these two men conspired to turn a number of George Washington's personal guards against the American general, a scheme that we will talk about later. Tryon remained in self-exile until late summer 1776, when the British Army seized control of New York. After his appointment as an army general in 1777, he led a British raiding party on a supply depot in the town of Danbury, Connecticut. And Tyrion's forces were met by a force of militia and Continental Army regulars commanded by Benedict Arnold. I bet bet he's not going to come up later. I bet he's just a swell guy. (laughs) He is our friend. Then one of Washington's most excuse me, Benedict Arnold, who was one of Washington's most able field generals. In Tyron's military role, he often exceeded his orders and repeatedly brutalized the civilian population. He eventually overstayed his welcome a bit and fell out of favor with the British High Command and returned to England in disgrace in 1780. After trying to destabilize our economy, and murdering a majority of citizens. He
1: must have been reading from like King Edward I's books because he's <laughs> like, he could do it in Scotland. Why can't
0: I do it here? He's now that is quite the British, they just repeat their history. Oh, yeah, time they, and time they don't again. change very much. They were on one.
1: It is funny though because this guy, William Tryon, is one of the guys that eventually in like the late 70s will come up to. Clinton and be like, "Hey, I'll set up a group for you to handle all this intel." And Clinton's like, "Get out
0: of here. Get out. I hear you stab a lot of people. Can yeah. you get out? Go counterfeit some money." Yeah, how was the whole printing fake money like <laughs> scruffles his <laughs> yeah. scruffles his way. Remember when that worked? <laughs> yeah. Our next story is the individual Benjamin Church. So, Benjamin Church was a Rhode Island-born, Harvard-trained physician and was considered by friends and neighbors a fierce patriot and an unwavering advocate for freedom of the American colonies. He was a known member of the original Sons of Liberty, who were a secretive band of colonists, and a close associate of revolutionary figures John and Sam Adams, John Hancock, and Paul Revere. Ever heard of him? Sam Adams? He's a pretty important guy. (laughs) Lots of beer. Incredible beers. (laughs) Prior to the war, Benjamin Church was elected to the Massachusetts—can't believe I said that right provincial no, no, I didn't say that one right—congress and was involved <laughs> in planning preparations against the British occupation, which included militia efforts to acquire weapons and other military supplies. Before that, he treated victims of the Boston Massacre and even participated in the Boston Tea Party, so— if you think about some of the most influential moments that started this war, this man was there.
1: I still love that it. it's called the Boston Massacre, and like three people died.
0: Did did people even die during it, or I, were people just? Shot? I'm pretty sure like three people died, like <laughs> that, four other people got hurt. And we in America was like, they've massacred our people,
1: not like this, yeah.
0: Church was eventually even appointed by the Continental Congress as the Director General and Chief Physician of the Continental Army, making him, through some, I guess you can take a few leaps or translations, making him the first Surgeon General. However, he was a longtime British spy. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's not what you want. Under... Benjamin Church was under enormous debt and was also getting put under the influence of his English wife, he began portraying his fellow colonists in 1772, three w- years before the Revolutionary War. I love that
1: it comes down to he had to listen to his wife. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Can't argue with the wife. Yeah, He's just like oh, the old ball and chain and Sam Adams and John Adams are like, dude, what the hell? <laughs> You're like in charge of our physicians. You're, yeah, you are the guy when someone needs the amputation. It's always money and women. Never changes. Uh, history. No, what's the quote? War. War never changes. But three years before the Revolutionary War even began, he sold information to the British commander in Boston, which included details of colonial military plans, likely spurring the British march on villagers in Lexington and Concord to seize arms and munitions that the militias were rumored to be stockpiling. So like we mentioned uh, a little bit before, Benjamin Church was actually in charge of, of the militia in the area to get guns in preparation for Revolutionary War. He then told on said guns, which spurned on the events of Lexington and Concord and Paul Revere's famous ride. or excuse me, of just Lexington and Concord. Paul Revere did his stuff later. But wow, is this guy behind every single yeah. pivotal moment. He was also Boston Tea Party Boston Massacre.
1: Massacre. There's just like so many parallels of people doing this nowadays. Just like We'll give you a bunch of guns, but once you have them, you're in trouble. Yeah, we will tell on you.
0: (laughs) We will come back for them. Yeah. Iraq. Iraq. (laughs) Church's treachery was discovered months later when colonials intercepted an encrypted letter his mistress—I guess he got sick of listening to his wife—delivered to the British in Boston using a courier. The captured correspondence was then brought to the attention of one George Washington— And though Church claimed the letter was innocent, it was found to include a number of extremely sensitive details about the composition of the Continental Army, and the longtime patriot, in quotes, was immediately imprisoned.
1: (laughs) I, I just love the idea of George Washington sitting down with this guy and like going through a file, and he's just like, you know, there's some stuff in here you probably shouldn't be telling those guys. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, there's literally a battle map what we're about
0: to do well, I g- how could that possibly be useful for them i gave that to my side piece <laughs> how do you have that but a court-martial eventually found church guilty of communicating with the enemy and he was placed in custody but due to failing health conditions he was exiled to the caribbean and while in transit his schooner was lost and never heard from again
1: he was probably pimping.
0: <laughs> he was probably hoeing. Yeah, he was he's yeah. down
1: in Jamaica, like, at the brothels.
0: Right, church is only in his name, not in his practice. It's in session. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our next story comes from Thomas Hickey. In June of 1776, General George Washington ordered the arrest of David Matthews, the, lo- <laughs> the loyalist mayor of New York City for conspiring in support of British plans to invade the city. It was later learned that Dave Matthews was also involved in a devious plot against George Washington himself, along with Bill Tryon. These guys, they just can't, they gotta separate. (laughs)
1: That's the whole thing with spies is you can't be with each other.
0: You can never be seen in the same room. The conspirators aimed to capture or assassinate Washington using traitors in his lifeguard. That is actually what they were called. They were foiled by the Committee for Detecting and Defeating Conspiracies, so shout out the CDDC.
1: So wait, the guys trying to assassinate George Washington were in the the counter-espionage group. But they were spies.
0: But they were spies, yes. <laughs> so, didn't really work out. The spies got outspied. Thomas Hickey, the Continental Soldier at the center of the plot, was a favorite of George Washington. Hickey was an Irishman and British Army deserter. And Hickey joined the militia in Connecticut and was later handpicked by George Washington himself to join the elite lifeguard. Hickey proved of course, a major disappointment, and was later jailed on suspicion of counterfeiting. (laughs) While detained, he confided to fellow prisoners that he was turning his back on the cause of independence and started actively recruiting others to support the British. Stop sucking at your job, man. You gotta think, the worst spies are the ones that we know about, right? (laughs) It's just very easy to be like, he was not or she was not good at their job.
1: But it's like, okay, you sucked at your job, so you got punished for sucking at your job, so this is your fault, but you're gonna get mad about it and And try and kill the president. He's like, how did this happen? Everywhere kill the future president, I guess.
0: Right. Uh, Hickey was eventually court-martialed for his role in the plot, and pleaded innocent to charges of exciting and joining in mutiny and sedition, as well as treacherously corresponding with, enlisting among, and receiving pay from the enemies of the United Colonies. And... Why are these charges so long? (laughs) This is the most annoying thing to ever read. After he was found guilty in June of 1776, Hickey was hung in New York City before... Let's guess the number. A, 5,000. B, 10,000. C, 15,000. D, 20,000. I'm gonna go 10,000. Before 20,000 onlookers. Dude, they just loved... Seeing people die back then, they loved it. Like this is probably a huge case at the time as well. You yeah, seventeen seventy six. Everyone's hot for revolution, and they caught a spy who was part of George Washington's actual like, like honor guard. one assistance. of his like favorites. secret service? Yeah. <laughs> like, imagine if someone tried to get Biden, and they it'd be essentially the same thing. Yeah. Thomas Hickey is now known as the first individual to be executed for treason in the United States. And following this, by George Washington's orders, all soldiers who were not on duty at the time were actually present at the execution. Washington would later write to the Continental Congress, "I am hopeful that this example will produce many salutary consequences and deter others from entering into the like traitorous practices." Talk about setting an example.: It
1: just goes back to the like, lack of having police, where it's just like we have to like, publicly make examples of people so that people don't do
0: this anymore. People forget there were no police.
1: Yeah, you know? the police didn't come around to like almost the 1900s, like at least like organized police, so it's just, like, what are you going to do other than just make other people scared?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only so, like, form of police were local militias and or whatever Continental army station was there. There was really no backing.
1: Yeah, it wasn't organized. Like, yeah. it wasn't per town. It was like you travel to the biggest nearby town and then report it. And they're like, what do you want us to do?
0: Lawlessness. <laughs> like, it is insane. Our next story is a man known as Edward Bancroft. Early in the war, Benjamin Franklin headed a commission in Paris, aiming to convince the then powerful, longtime foe of the British, the French. To provide America with financial and military assistance, and of course, why do the French want to help us? They kind of want to send a big FU to the British, and also Seven Years' War. Yeah, and the Napoleonic Wars in like twenty years. <laughs> We need to talk more about Europe at this time because Europe was going through their own world war. It was war. pretty
1: much just the French and the British just like taking shots at each other right. Right,
0: back and forth. And like the Prussians get involved from time to time. Yeah,
1: and then maybe Spain peeks their head in and then leaves again. But- and,
0: and then, yeah. The commission, or excuse me, Benjamin Franklin's commission was of paramount importance to the rebellion colonies at the time because they didn't have any money. <laughs> we were broke when we first started this country. And still are, but regardless. I mean they counterfeited a bunch of money on a ship, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbeknownst to Benjamin Franklin and the other delegates, the commission had already been penetrated by British spies. Most notably Edward Boncroft, the commission's secretary. In this position, Boncroft or Bancroft, we're or gonna go with Boncroft, had access to every conversation and negotiation, and occasionally served as translator four different delegates in meetings with the French foreign ministry. He was considered a patriot who served America well during the revolution, but his allegiance was tenuous. He had long hoped that the two rival countries would come to a mutual reconciliation and fretted that French involvement would be ruinous to the British Empire.
1: I do like that even back before we were formerly a country, we still were like... You guys learn English. We're
0: not going to learn French. <laughs> <laughs> a practice that has stood the test of time. That
1: has not changed.
0: That is very funny. Our founding, one of our founding fathers, also stubborn. <laughs> yeah. In the same month that the Declaration of Independence was approved, Bancroft was recruited to spy by a close associate and a New Hampshire loyalist who offered him a sum of 500 pounds which essentially equals out to $100,000 in today's currency. So we're talking about, at the time, generational changing money. Yeah, that's a big get. In exchange, Edward was to report on progress made in the treaty negotiations between America and France, divulge the names of American agents, the methods of their payments, and deliver copies of correspondence to British agents. He obliged, communicating the secrets he gathered to British handlers through a dead drop, which, like we mentioned before, typically was a hiding place used by different spies to exchange messages and payments. And in this case, it was a bottle hidden in a tree root in the Tuileries Garden in Paris.
1: And there's a, a very important one that we'll talk about next week, which is how we know like, all about American spies.
0: <laughs> yeah. The commission was, excuse me, the Benjamin Franklin's commission was ultimately successful and an alliance was forced between France and America in 1778. Many weeks would pass before the Congress would learn of it as communication took a very long time to get across seas like we talked about in the war of 1812 when the battle of New Orleans was fought two s- weeks two weeks I yeah. believe after the treaty was the peace treaty was signed. However, officials in London received a copy of the agreement within a few days, courtesy of one Edward Boncroft. So despite the betrayal, the alliance provided desperately needed resources and weapons to Washington's army and tipped the war in America's favor. In fact, Bancroft's treachery wasn't discovered until the late 1880s. 70 years after his death. Wow. So he was spying and Wilden in 1776 to 1778, and he was pretty good, because no one found out a 100 years after.
1: But it doesn't sound like he actually
0: did much. Like, he
1: told them that we had made an alliance with France, but then they didn't we were, do anything about they it. Didn't do anything
0: <laughs> about it. He also, I believe, like, stalled some negotiations, just with like, oh, I lost the paperwork. And, like, <laughs> shit like that. But the only way that we found out about the treachery was through, Brit- excuse me, was through the British government providing different researchers access to diplomatic archives, including detailed document documentation of underhand dealings.
1: Wow, that would have to be an exciting day for some researcher
0: finding that. That would be. Can you imagine if we were able to do that? That'd be sweet. That's the goal. British government, can we see some documents? If we have any f- like foreign friends, which I know we have a few, just get us access to your government. <laughs> Let us
1: go through like the archives.
0: I'm just picturing us in a huge library, like flipping through and files. Not,
1: like, <laughs> no, not knowing at all what we're looking for. We're just scanning documents and like, hmm, yes.
0: We're scanning documents looking for more mm, of the sins of your country. Yeah. <laughs> Our next and final story for this episode, is going to be the infamous Benedict Arnold.
1: Yeah, this guy.
0: In the early years of the war, Benedict Arnold was one of George Washington's most accomplished and trusted generals. However, as many of you probably have an idea, his legacy today is literally synonymous with betrayal.
1: Yeah. You look it up in the, in the dictionary, look up traitor, and there he is. There he
0: is. His... Big-nosed picture. Yeah. Uh, Arnold was a pharmacist by trade, and the 34-year-old American patriot at the time joined the rebellion in 1775. He organized volunteers and seized munitions from New Haven Arsenal and led his group northward to fight the British. So he literally started his own group like Robin Hood. <laughs> and, I mean, that's what our, our forces were. I
1: mean, we had, yeah. like, and we had an army, quote-unquote, But it was mostly just like scattered militias that chose to fight or not. So we we didn't really have an established force. They could just be there one day and then not the next.
0: Just on Tuesday, you're shooting at the most powerful army in in the known world at the time. And on Wednesday, you're milking a cow.
1: Yeah, it was insane that we had any sort of organization at all. (laughs) How were we a country? That (laughs) is truly a testament to George Washington's leadership.
0: Note to future us: Deep dive on George Washington because how did he do it? Dude's insane. Dude is nuts. In May of 1775, Arnold's forces eventually clashed with the British at Fort Ticonderoga, which was along the shores of Lake Champlain in northern New York. It was made of pencils.
1: (laughs) Number two. Number two.
0: (laughs) Now this mechanical bull. He achieved capturing the valuable artillery stores at the fort with relative ease, providing the Continental Army with its first victory of the war, which came at a huge time because we were in need of a W at this point. Arnold captured Fort Ticonderoga with the assistance of a British spy, ironically, and the heavy cannons that were taken by Arnold proved instrumental in ending the siege of Boston the following year. In December of 1775, he suffered the first of two serious leg injuries during a failed attack on British-occupied forces in Quebec. So, to set the stage, he was the MVP of the war for the first few years. Yeah.
1: Like, he literally got
0: us out of a slump
1: with that victory at Ticonderoga.
0: And the supplies that he stole helped us capture or recapture Boston. Yeah, which is huge. The birthplace of the revolution. Yeah. Uh, By early 1777, Arnold was back in the field leading troops in a blocking action against a British advance in Connecticut. The enemy force commanded by one William Tryon, I don't know why I can't get the name, the British governor of New York, uh, who was acting on intelligence from a British spy about a suspected Continental Army weapons depot. The British achieved their objectives, but at a great cost and suffered twice as many casualties as the Americans in the ensuing skirmish. Arnold narrowly escaped death, having two different horses shot out from under him on the battlefield. (sighs) I cannot imagine. That is luck if I've ever heard it. And then he still was like, I gotta switch sides. (laughs) Yeah. Well. When you don't get paid for six years. (laughs) That is also something we don't talk about a lot with the Revolutionary War that there was no way to pay these men. No, so that was like his, one of his major reasons for changing sides. It's just right. like,
1: I haven't gotten any money for any of this.
0: When you're living paycheck to paycheck and getting shot at. <laughs> Two horses down. Two horses down. Arnold was also instrumental in the historic American triumph at the Battle of Saratoga. Through his bravery and leadership, his men prevailed against a larger British army commanded by one of English, England's top-tier generals. The lopsided victory at Saratoga resulted in the surrender of thousands of British soldiers and was a turning point in the Revolutionary War. This actually emboldened France to formally enter the war and strike the alliance with America. Nice. You're kind of seeing your recurring theme that these British spies were part of just about every key action of the Revolutionary War. And had such an effect on us actually winning. Yeah. Like, his victories before he turned coat, or was a turncoat, got France to help I us out. I was going to yeah,
1: he's kind of a big deal. Like, there's a reason why his name is the one that everyone remembers as being, like, the double agent or right. whatever. So
0: right. Uh, during the Battle of Saratoga, however, Arnold did suffer a severe wound in the same leg he injured earlier. And it just makes me crack up a little bit that he just keeps getting shot in the same (laughs) (laughs) way. I'm I'm, I'm honestly surprised that he
1: didn't die from that. Because it was so easy to die from just like one injury. That's amazing that he was... And he kept the legs. And kept the legs. That's
0: incredible. That's pretty great fortitude for the man. Arnold's patriotism and battlefield exploits earned him little reward, however. Though the British surrendered at Saratoga, uh, was hailed throughout the colonies, other officers actually took credit for Arnold's success and diminished his role. So even during this time, there were plenty of people vying for credit because they were seeing the formation of this new army and eventually new country, and all the top-tier generals and all the people were trying to grab as much credit as they could.
1: Yeah, they all want their names to be the ones that are remembered.
0: Yes, and as a further insult to this, Congress refused to promote Arnold in rank, elevating several junior officers above him. As Arnold gradually became more disaffected with the cause, his wife, Margaret Peggy Shippen, was immersing herself in lavish spending, deeply indebting the general. These hoes, man. That's where the not getting paid thing comes in. And adding to the swirl of troubles, Arnold faced a court-martial on charges of misconduct and financial impropriety. Though he was largely exonerated, he received a stinging rebuke from Washington, and this created a bitter, deep-seated resentment to the general. What did I tell you, man? It's always about money and women. Money and women. They will just cause you to pick the wrong side Uh, of a war. (laughs) Desperate for money, Arnold decided to turn away from his country, brokering a secret agreement to begin spying for the British. In 1780, Washington summoned Arnold to rejoin the army as a top commander, but the disillusioned general had other plans. He requested and was granted command of the American defenses along the Hudson River at West Point. This fortified outpost held incredible strategic value, and controlled the lines of communication and transportation between New England and the entirety of the country.
1: Yeah, this, this post could not have been like more perfect for the Americans the way they had it set up, because it was on an S-curve on the Hudson River, so you could see everyone. Like It would be very obvious if someone was coming through, and you had to go really slow. Mm-hmm. So it gave them plenty of time to prepare if the, na- like the British naval, naval ships came through and they just had a literal gigantic chain across the river that's right so it was like even if they could it could make it to the base or like to the fort
0: they would just get destroyed by the chain that's the most i guess it's very simple but very smart way to it just is. stop stop flow just throw up a giant chain
1: you can't sail past it you can't go underneath it i mean it is like the perf- like you see all of these gates or like guarded doorways (laughs) and stuff where it's just like a giant chain in front of the door. It's like, that's not going to stop a car. It's like, eh, it it might not help the car. (laughs) It definitely won't (laughs) help the car. So (laughs) I'm not going to try it.
0: Yeah. Through his wife, Arnold contacted Major John Andre, who was a general and... Intelligence Chief to British Commanding General, Sir Henry Clinton.
1: Yeah, so Andre was appointed early on. Well, I say early on, but it was like 1778. He was appointed by Clinton to be the Intelligence Chief. And Clinton just said, hey, log all this stuff for me and then let me know. So that's literally all he did was log everything by date. But he didn't evaluate any of the intel. He didn't (laughs) sift it out, like go through any of it. He just literally logged everything. And then so it didn't. It wasn't useful, and then eventually Andre and Clinton went to South Carolina for another campaign down there, and then another guy took over and was like way better at the position <laughs> than Andre was because he read the letters because <laughs> he he literally went through all the information, evaluated it, and wrote briefs. Yeah. So then, like Andre comes back, and then Clinton's like, "Work with him. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can learn from him." This is also a really interesting time for clinton because once he realized like how good of a job the guy's name was beckwith once he realized how good of a job beckwith did while they were on campaign and like they partnered up andre and beckwith this is when clinton like truly begins to rely on intelligence a lot more Mm. versus like just think like thinking on his feet he was like maybe there is something to this and the whole situation with benedict arnold is honestly one of the biggest testaments to how much he relied on his intelligence after a while
0: which is extremely true because like this major communication between arnold and henry clinton arnold was straight up going to turn over west point in, yeah. in exchange for a huge sum of money and to sweeten the deal arnold even put in the potential capture of george washington during the visit and naturally, Clinton and the British agreed.
1: Yeah, because they planned it to be like Washington will be here, but like a couple other the major generals are going to be here. You can get all of them in one one fail swoop.
0: That's looking back at it now. That's like that Pearl Harbor story that you always hear, where all the major generals were in that yeah. one building during the bombing. Yep. but like they missed. Yeah, they were all like at church. Same, that's literally yeah. the same thing with here. Arnold began discreetly weakening the stronghold while reporting to Andre on troop strength, planned movements, and defensive positions. After returning from one of their secret meetings, Andre was captured and searched by local American militia, who discovered documents implicating Benedict Arnold. (laughs)
1: Just him running in with like a robe on, and then he's like holding oh. it closed. And one guy grabs his arm, and all of the stuff falls on. He's like, Oh no, where did that come from?
0: I'm also picturing him for whatever reason. I know West Point is in the south, but for some reason, he's picked up by like hillbilly militiamen. <laughs> <That> <laughs> this would... very proper British general. Yep. Oh, bother. He hears banjos. <laughs> <laughs> where are you going? You look pretty cute. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Alerted that Andre had been captured, Benedict Arnold fled West Point and managed to reach the HMS Vulture, which was a nearby British warship. He wrote to General Washington, requesting safe passage to Philadelphia for his wife. Washington agreed, unaware of her involvement in Arnold's scheming. As for Andre, Washington ordered the captured British officer hung as a spy. This came after an offer from Washington proposing to exchange Andre for Arnold, which was rejected by the British. Arnold was soon rewarded by the British with a commission as a brigadier general. After clashing with redcoats for years, he would soon be leading them against his former comrades.
1: I think it's funny that they denied Andre's trade for Arnold because they realized, like, hey,
0: Arnold's a good,
1: like, military guy. Yeah. And Andre... Literally got shown up in like a month by this other guy named Beckwith while he was on campaign. <laughs> so
0: I don't think we need him anymore. Right. It's, it's exchanging like a first round pick for a seventh round pick Yeah. At this they're point. like,
1: Andre, you were good. You were a fun guy. You are good at writing logs. Hey,
0: pa- pal. <laughs> but sorry. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. In the aftermath of the betrayal, Washington ordered his cavalry commander, Major Henry was had the nickname Light Horse Harry, but Major Henry Lee, who was the father of future Confederate commander Robert E. Lee, fun facts, to plan the capture of Arnold from New York City. Weeks after Benedict Arnold's flight, the hand-picked John Champay, Lee's Sergeant Major, posed as a defecting Continental soldier and joined British forces in New York. From there, aided by the local spies, He planned to abduct Arnold and return him to American lines. A last minute transfer saved Arnold, allowing the turncoat to elude his capture. Three months later, Arnold led 1,600 men of the American Legion, who were mostly loyalist troops and Continental Army deserters, to Richmond, Virginia's capital, which was surrounded by, or excuse me, which was defended by a small handful of volunteers. After being chased off by Arnold's men, Governor Thomas Jefferson offered a bounty of 5,000 gold coins Ooh. for the capture of former American general. That is a lot. That's more than the 500 pounds we talked about. Yeah, this that is, is solid gold. Is a, this just shows how mad they were at him, though. Washington, General Washington definitely had it out for him. He
1: had a, I mean, he had a justifiable grudge. He was pissed. Yeah. (laughs) They shared bedtime
0: stories. And I mean,
1: Washington wasn't getting paid for any of this either, but he was just like, I got to lead this entire thing.
0: Oh my God. And like, Washington's fighting off like threats to his life. Like all these are essentially happening at the same time. All these different stories that we've covered, they're happening at the same time. Which is insane. Which is insane. Benedict Arnold did survive the war and moved with his wife, Peggy, to England, where he lived out the remainder of his life. She got just the best
1: deal out of all this. <laughs> right. He was just like, you be my communique for me to the British. And no one ever even knew yeah. that she was the one doing it. Yeah.
0: And he, I mean...
1: So he, even if he would have died, she would have been like, sorry. 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 <laughs>
0: However, Arnold was mistrusted even by the British and was treated as an outcast. Gee, I wonder why no one trusted him. Huh, if it turns out when you're a traitor, people tend not to trust you. He then died in London in 1801. So, that concludes our episode for the British side of espionage of the American Revolutionary War. We have some Pretty exciting ones coming next week. Yeah, America had side. a lot of cool stuff going on. Like George Washington, like he,
1: it cannot be stated how important George Washington was to this entire thing. Like obvi- that's obvious, but I think after next week, you'll really realize how
0: much he actually did, like behind the scenes work, and just how much, like how brilliant the man was. Yeah, I don't think we really talk about that enough. That yeah, he really.
1: He was an incredibly smart man. I heard someone say in a documentary I was watching about like revolutionary spies. They're like, "You know, George Washington never lied, but that did mean
0: that he just kept the truth out a couple times. <laughs> yeah. The founding the founding father. Huge fan of spies and mistrust. Oh yeah, (laughs) doing dastardly deeds in the background. But
1: but uh, like just to wrap up on like the British stuff. uh, Eventually, once Clinton did realize like how important this new intelligence system was going to be, he started recruiting more people. And then Beckwith and another guy, they were they realized like a lot of these guys are getting caught because they're intermingling with one another, and then they can trace the other guy back to whoever. So he and another guy were like, we got to make this as the least reliant on an individual as possible and so that anyone could fill any role pretty much. So that's when they started doing like the alphanumeric ciphers and stuff like that so that it was just a code that anyone could write. So it wasn't reliant on a singular person knowing Mm -hmm. all of this Intel work stuff. So they were like, we got to make this the least personal and most plug-and-play system that we can. And then eventually they came up with new systems to interrogate people, to make sure they weren't spies or to make sure that they weren't double agents and stuff. So yeah, by the end of the Revolutionary War, they had a, a good system, but it was just way too late.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Right. Just a few years too late. Yes.
1: It was, this was like 81 that they finally got this all down. So mm-hmm. it didn't work out well enough for them. <laughs>
0: just in time for them to lose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I hope you guys really liked the episode. I know I really enjoyed learning more about the British side of spydom, if you will, as well as just the Revolutionary Wars of Wild Time. Yeah, there's apparently
1: an AMC show that aired called Turn, which I haven't watched, but I heard it
0: was really good. Yeah, I remember that. AMC, they always put out bangers.
1: Yeah, so I don't know where you can watch it, but... If it's somewhere, you
0: should try and find it and watch it because apparently it's great. We this is the first rendition of a book club, but instead of books we watch TV. Yes. <laughs> but if you want to continue the conversation, you can find us on social medias, on Twitter at gems underscore history. You can find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco and then myself at what You can then find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Gems of History Podcasts.
1: Yeah, and I just wanted to say we got our Spotify wrapped yeah. thing today at, at the day that we're recording this, and uh, just wanted to say thank you guys for all the support over the past year. It's kind of crazy the numbers that we have from, from this year to last year. We've grown like 150% in like almost everything since last year, and... Yeah, I I just wanted to say a quick thank you to all you guys for supporting us and telling your friends to come listen to us and stuff like that. So it was really cool to see. And it's always, obviously it isn't about the numbers at the end of the day. We just like doing this because it's something we're passionate about and it's fun for us. And we're just glad that you guys at home also get some enjoyment out of what we do here.
0: So Truly looking at the numbers, uh, because Jacob shared them with me, of course. Amazing. Yeah, I think so It's just insane, like the journey that we've been on, and we're just extremely grateful. I think uh, Evans' exact
1: words when when I texted him the numbers were, "Holy shit, that's actually insane numbers." I
0: did not believe it. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of crazy, but yeah, absolutely can't say enough how appreciative we are of all of you just to listen to us bumble about random things for about an hour each. Yeah, each week, each week. Um, just looking forward to. Keep on producing amazing content for you guys, and I don't know, absolutely love it. Do our best for you guys. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thank you guys all at home for
1: listening. Uh, we will be back next week with part two of our spy series, I guess you could call it. Uh, we'll be doing Americans instead of the British for the Revolutionary War. But if you guys like this spy stuff, maybe in the future we can do some spy highlights from stuff like the cold war and uh-huh. world war ii and stuff like that where we can do whole episodes on just individual people who were influential spies so that could be fun but that's all we got for you guys this week and we, we will be back in another week with more do-do, 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 uh-huh. do, do-do, do-do. we're right. gonna
0: get sued <laughs> stay polished out there everybody